Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. A couple of items to hopefully cheer us up in these rather depressing times. Our reporter Zoe Baus has been to a colourful fashion exhibition in The Hague, while I, on the other hand, went off in search of a little comic relief. Well, thanks. My name is Greg Shapiro. Thank you... I'm at the theatre in Delft and I'm in the dressing room of comedian Greg Shapiro who's just come off stage and your new show, your new tour is called Farewell Trumpland. It's, it's leaving Trumpland. <laughs> you can we'll, we'll start again. We'll start again. We'll start again. <laughs> I didn't do a very good job of no, no. Okay. I'm at the theatre in Delft and I'm in the dressing room of comedian Greg Shapiro and his new show, his new tour is called Leaving Trumpland. Why leaving? Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I've done the voice of Trump for so long. It's been so great. But yeah, if, if Trump ends up leaving the White House, then yeah, uh, we'll all be leaving this bizarre experiment called Trumpland. And if not? And if not, I don't know if I will feel comfortable returning to my homeland ever again, or with Corona, if I will ever be allowed. So, uh, exciting times. Because I think uh, Donald Trump is uh, a gift for comedians, is he not? He's been so great. Ever since the video about the Netherlands second, and uh, yeah. But we've had a good run. And uh, yeah, people are saying like, oh, what if he, you know, leaves? Then, you know, will you be out of a job? And the fact is, I'm out of so many jobs already. So, why not let him join the fun? I mean, has it, has it been difficult the last six months? Uh, the past six months, certainly, yeah. No, I mean, there's been not a lot of work. Uh, we've had to be very creative with uh, coming up with income. Uh, since the 1st of September, we have the theaters that are reopened. And, you know, I've had, uh, I've d developed actually two different shows uh, and, and they're ready to go in time for election day. But yeah, as of today, uh, it looks like the theaters will be closed again. So shortest run ever. Uh, actually, tonight, here in Delft, uh, there were 105 in the first show, and then I'm playing a second show. So that is uh, another 50 to 100 people, and that's how the theaters have been able to sell out all their seats so far. Uh, it's, it's a one-hour show this season. It's not, you know, 75, 90 minutes, uh, and you play twice per evening. So that's the new normal. And if it ends up being only 30 people, uh, I'm happy. 30 people, thumbs up, let's do this. I know, when, you, when you're forced to play to, to, to smaller audiences, I mean, is, is it, does that make it more intimate or do these people get lost to a few hundred people in a big auditorium? That's, it's such a great question, you know, and it's so 
um, interesting from the performance perspective, or if you're not a performer, I mean, uh, yeah, the good news is, you know, Dutch audiences in general are uh, reticent is the term. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's like an oil painting. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Dutch audiences have a reputation, certainly among international comedians, for being very reserved. And yet, after the show, it's generally a lot of appreciation. My own wife was watching me on stage one time, and she said, I smiled very hard. No laughter necessarily, but the appreciation is there. So you just have to have faith. And whether that's 30 people spread out through 250 seats or whether it's uh, just, you know, 30 people in a very tiny space uh, or, uh, yeah, or a full, full room full of, you know, sold out standing room only. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a different, slightly different challenge every time. So I like it. And you say Dutch audiences are different. Could you do the same act in Holland as you do, or you, or you would do in the States? Uh, right. I mean, I've tried that a bit, actually. And uh, I did a performance of my previous show, which was The Madness of King Donald, uh, for a Dutch audience, and I recorded it. And now it's on Spotify with an American producer uh, who said, yeah, you should come do that over in the States. And I've performed it in the States. Um, and it's true. I have to make some, uh, I have to adapt some pieces. I have to move some things around. I have to adjust for different attitudes because in the Netherlands, you know, Donald Trump as a subject is like, oh, he's a buffoon. But in America, it's like there's, it, it's called outrage fatigue. <laughs> so you have to adjust for that. It must be difficult though I mean if if Trump is not re-elected mm. um, and Biden gets in I don't think Biden's gonna be have many laughs is he ah Joe Biden uh, can be plenty of fun um, you know I've described him as a combination of uh, Clint Eastwood and Mr. Rogers uh, from American kids television you know and he's just a you know, he's really, he sounds really tough, but he's actually quite sweet. And uh, yeah, like, do you feel lucky, punk? Well, you should. We live in a great country. And yeah, yeah, had Bill Clinton who said, I feel your pain. And Joe Biden is more like, I've felt pain worse than you have. I'm feeling pain right now. My leg, my knee. <laughs> so how long have you been doing that? Only since he's been president, or were you doing before then? Oh, in fact, uh, at Boom Chicago, the comedy theater in Amsterdam, we do uh, like a, an election year special every four years or in Dutch a Verkiesingskonferense and uh, we've been doing that uh, Pep Rosenfeld and myself uh, I mean Pep and I we've been writing comedy since we were 15 years old so uh, that's more than half our lives <laughs> and uh, so we've been doing these shows since 2004 and uh, this is our fifth one but anyway sorry um, yeah uh, that, that in 2016 we were doing uh, the show called uh, Trump Up the Volume. And that's where I started doing the Trump voice. And, you know, when the eyes are never fully open and the mouth is never, ever closed, that's how I get the Trump voice. Tell me a little bit about uh, Boom Chicago, because you were one of the founders of that. That was quite a long time ago, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. We just had our 25th anniversary. And, uh, yeah, that was... The, my original plan was to come here for one summer. And, yeah, 25 years later, the Dutch can be addictive. So, fair warning. Um, yeah, but it was um, just a plan for me to come for one summer and see what would happen. And uh, I really didn't expect that I would stay. 
Were you a comedian before you left, or did the Dutch make you funny? Ah, God, did the Dutch make me funny? Funny in the head, uh, maybe? Uh, no, I was uh, doing comedy uh, in Chicago and New York, and, uh, you know, not very successfully, or shall we say it was a learning experience. And, uh, yeah, I was very happy to come to the Netherlands and find work, actually. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's always been a lot of opportunity here, uh, honestly, that I, that I didn't find back in the U.S. So, uh, yeah, what's not to like? There's, a, I imagine, a bit of an element of a big fish in a small pond. I guess so. That is, yeah. Uh, the question is also, why wouldn't I perform in the Dutch language uh, since I'm doing my sixth solo show now? Uh, and do, you, do you do an act in, in Dutch? Uh, I've tried, but uh, it, it turns out that everybody you know, in my audience, speaks English almost as well as native speakers. And uh, then there's trouble in translation. Uh, and then, you know, there are plenty of Dutch language comedians who are really quite good in their native language. So they don't need more competition. And uh, oddly enough, uh, I've been touring the entire Netherlands, even Zeefenaar and uh, Drenthe uh, in English. And uh, to my surprise, it's been working pretty well. I mean, I imagine in Amsterdam, a, a fairly large proportion of your audiences are native English speakers mm. rather than Dutch. But that's not going to happen in Drenthe, is it? Uh, no, indeed. Uh, and uh, there was a moment in, uh, oh, was it uh, Wadwey in Nord-Holland, a uh, <laughs> very tiny town, and it was theater week. So everybody pays 10 euros and, you know, it's potluck. You get whatever they <laughs> decide to serve up. So there was a man in a wheelchair who was seated by the door and he, you know, the lights came up and, oh no, he's speaking in English. So... I talked to him after the show, and he said, well, good thing I'm seated near the door. I'll just quietly sneak out. But he thought, well, I am understanding him. And then he mentioned, like, you know, something from today's news. That was in NOS Journal. And, oh, it's actually tight. It's current news. So he stuck, he stuck around, and after the show, he said, yeah, I, I didn't think I would understand your English, but I did. It was clear enough. That's something I try to do. <laughs> because I think you are a, a sort of, how can I put it, a thinking man's comedian. Sure. Um, <laughs> you, you need to know things before to understand your act. You right. need to understand some background, some, a few politics and things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's indeed. Um, I do try to uh, reward, you know, people who, I guess I try to make the show for people who come up to me as friends or online or on the street and just ask me these questions like, what if, uh, you know, Trump refuses to acknowledge uh, the election results? What if there are two people who show up on Inauguration Day next year? Um, you know, what is Trump thinking? Who are these people who vote for Trump? And I guess my show is honestly trying to answer those kinds of questions for people. Um, and, and, and yeah, I suppose it's not, uh, there is, if it was, <laughs> if it was a college course, there would be like prerequisites necessary. You need to know a little bit about topic X for this to make sense. And that, that, but that's fine. But how do you explain to anybody mm. some, how somebody would vote for Trump? Ah, um, you know, it's, it's something that I study 
more and more, I used to say that it was, uh, you know, white minority anxiety, you know, because America is becoming minority white by the year 2045. And a lot of people, a lot of white people in America realize how minorities are treated in America. And like, we don't want that. So, you know, the, and it's, it's sort of this unconscious, subconscious phenomenon that a lot of people don't do a very good job of articulating why exactly did I vote the way I did, but it seems to be, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not processed in the prefrontal cortex. It's the amygdala. It's the like reptilian brain fight or flight. It's fear based. And Trump does a very good job of appealing to that, you know, fear in people. Uh, but yeah, it's also more than that, you know, and it's, it's too easy to say, oh, they're all racist or something. But um, yeah, it's a projection of strength, basically. And Trump does that very well. I, before I came out this evening, I was watching the news and they were showing this rally in um, Florida mm-hmm. yesterday. And, and he addresses the audience. It's almost like a disco. It's like a, like a disc jockey. Oh, sure. He's got a, a patter, a DJ patter, a radio, sort of a salesman patter. I mean, he's been compared to P.T. Barnum, you know, step right up, step right up. There's a sucker born every minute. And, uh, and did, did you see that uh, thing from, from, from Florida? He was saying he'd like to go down to the audience and kiss everybody. Yes, and hug everybody. And, uh, I, you know, I'm totally negative. I'm positive. I'm ne- I mean, I'm, pos- I'm mostly positive. Uh, yeah. I'm, and these people believe him, though, and they show up. So, yeah, it's not for nothing that I <laughs> trotted out a fairly dark joke and a reference to <laughs> the death cult in the 1970s where everybody was drinking the Kool-Aid. Now they're just breathing the corona. Maybe they'll be around by election day. Will Trump survive until election day? Will he lose his life but still win the election? In 2020, anything is possible. But do you think he, he will accept the result? Uh, I doubt it, honestly. And, uh, you know, it's he didn't accept the result when he won in 2016. You know, oh, I also won the popular vote. No, you didn't. <laughs> but, oh, but it must have been fake, totally fake. Uh, but fine. So, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that we'll have you know, two people, uh, you know, that, that show up on Inauguration Day, and then it becomes more like, well, what will the military do? So, you know, it's great for ratings, you got to admit. And it's also possible that he will just disappear overnight and uh, send a text, you know, like, Dubai is very nice this time of year. And, you know, any place that has one of his properties and no extradition treaty. And uh, that wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, I got the impression, I remember when he was first elected for the first, whatever, three, four, five weeks, Mm. he had nothing but flack. And I really would not have been surprised if he had just said, well, sod it. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Yeah, right. I just wanted to win. And he didn't even expect to win. He didn't even want to win. He just wanted the promo, you know, from being a presidential candidate. And uh, yeah, I uh, and, and yet it seems like he does enjoy having people salute him. And it's very good for his ego. I think he would do the job in his spare time if he could, which he basically does <laughs> currently. So, yeah, he plays a lot of golf. Okay, well, thanks very much for that, yes. and um, good luck with, with Trump land. Let's hope it doesn't go on for another four years. Uh, I'll be fine if we have a change of the menu. So, Greg Shapiro, thanks very much, and let's hope your tour survives as well. Thank you very much. We'll see what happens with the new rules, and I'm going to check the news right now. Arts Talk Radio Online. That was Greg Shapiro, whose current show Leaving Trumpland is due to tour all around the Netherlands until the middle of December. But things are changing all the time, so check with your venue. 
Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. Not only do we need a good laugh in these difficult times, but we also need some visual stimulation. Zoe Baus has been off in search of some. For those of you who feel like a splash of colour, I'm here again with Wendy Foss and, and she's going to tell us a bit more about this exhibition that's just opened at the Kunstmuseum called Fashion in Colour. Wendy, thank you for joining us again. Yes, you're welcome. Nice to be here again. <laughs> Wendy, just give us the um, the sort of the thinking behind the exhibition. It was quite an interesting sort of one-line quote, apparently inspired it. Yeah, in, in times of difficulty, fashion is always outrageous. That was an expression of uh, Elsa Schiaparelli, a designer in the 1930s, 40s, so the first half of the 20th century. She was referred to by Chanel as um, that Italian woman that designs clothes. So she's very, very, how would you call it? Is that dismissive? Yeah, very dismissive. <laughs> but she introduced very bright colors in those days. And uh, when you know a bit of history, you know that in the 1920s, of course is for its roaring 20s and in the 1930s it just suffered a stock exchange crash so you see that fashion really reflects what was uh, what is happening in society of so course. now in this these gloomy days of covid mm. uh, everybody is being stuck in the house and uh, the lockdown that we had things all of a sudden changed for the museums and our um uh, curators Madeleine um, Fauhey, she was working very, very hard for the exhibition which was supposed to take place this uh, fall. In, we're talking about March now. So one day she was still working uh, to get everything organized for the big Dior exhibition. There was going to be like this blockbuster exhibition here in the fall. But from one day on the other, she was... It wasn't stopped. happening. It wasn't happening. So she sat behind her desk and she started thinking about this quote. Uh, and also probably because she may have already had this in mind before uh, of organizing some color. And we have more than 50,000 pieces, uh, ranging from, of course, shoes, bags and stuff, but all wow. related to fashion. So we, we are one of the biggest fashion, uh, at least in Europe. We all have this at the depot at the Kunstmuseum, so you don't have to travel far away. You know, some other museums have their depots far away right. from their museum. So it's easily accessible. Very easy. But now I have, yes, now that you say it, I've seen a few other fashionations at the... I didn't realize that there was such a hub yeah. or of fashion. Exactly. They, they, it, it, usually it was called the Costume Institute way before oh, that. Right. So it was, a, um, and then over time it uh, joined the Kunstmuseum as one uh, group. So we have an enormous amount oh, of, of okay. stuff to select from. So again, there are about hundred. Uh, pieces to be seen and uh, most of them I say about 95% actually from our own collection. Now Wendy you've just been showing me some of the the pieces um, and as you said it's like a, a rainbow of colors exactly. starting from the duller browns things through the greens the blues and then on to the really hot reds and oranges so it is very very beautiful 
But perhaps more than that, there's a lot of symbolism behind that. So tell us a bit more about the thinking behind the way that these these colors have been curated and um, Well, the, the, the inspiration was, um, we have the designer of the exhibition, uh, Martin Spruit, and he has worked with Madeleine Fauhé already for a number of exhibitions. So their, their collaboration is very successful because he thinks in a different way than she thinks. So they, you know, they, they encourage each other to create this beautiful exhibition. And he was inspired by um, the, the color ideas of Josef Albert, uh, who is a uh, artist in the Bauhaus period, for right. instance. So the first room, um, you are confronted as, as a visitor with a greenish light. So when you come in, you look at this green light. And then when you come to the next room, um, you enter that and you think that the, the brown colors that you see over there are actually more pinkish. So you get this really uh, strange experience. So and we a visual, a visual experience, a visual experience, experience. playing with your, with your senses. With your senses, really. Exactly. And uh, we know, for instance, that Charles Worth, one of the first couturiers in the late 19th century, he introduced or the, the the gas lighting was then introduced and he created a gas lit room in order for the women to realize what their dresses would look like in this particular light so of course there was a lot of, of shining bright colors and by the gas gaslight it would make enhance them so, so be almost iridescent I exactly would exactly so that's also one of the reasons why in the late 19th century with all the uh, new uh, inventions of, of chemical dyes, uh, you see that there, there's a lot of bright colors as well, bright greens, bright. And you also mentioned to me the interesting story about the, the green, the dye exactly. for the green, which because is, you could were, be fatal. I, I didn't really <laughs> answer your question about the symbolism, but we can tackle that one now. Uh, because green, of course, is you know the color of envy and uh, the color of poison. And actually, in those days, green was a poisonous color before those chemicals, literally, uh, because there was arsenic. Uh, used in order to create these green green colors and it wasn't just used for fabrics to be dressed in but also for wallpaper um, but also in even as a, as a color substance in food and it was actually poisonous and we also know of stories that ladies and also gentlemen that they were dancing and then by you know your your body heat you're perspiring you would the these these fumes would come loose from uh, the clothes and and the women and also the men they would just faint and and in some cases there were even even these lethal uh, accidents so this, this explains kind. all the fainting exactly not only <laughs> due to the very tight corset because you know they were I just do. you know <laughs> kind of like a, an hourglass model uh, but it was also the color green on yeah you can blame it on the arsenic fair, yeah fair enough okay so of course there's an interesting aspect to the clothing but they said the symbolism is interesting because yeah. it's also changed centuries yes, exactly. and also it find different cultures have exactly. different ideas yeah, yeah. about that and we have some um, uh, loans also some clothes from India for instance or uh, Pakistan in, in India pink is what blue is for the west pink is the most 
popular color being worn by both uh, women and men. And also, uh, for instance, uh, yellow is something which is a color of hope today. Uh, we, we have, of course, the European flag, which has yellow stars, which is definitely a sign of hope. But yellow in the old days was also linked to uh, prostitutes. So, and that, the funny thing is that they would wear yellow because then in the dark, you could see them more easily. So in the dark, Alice, when you were looking for a prostitute, you only had to look for the yellow. It was a practical aspect. A very practical aspect. Right. And we also know that we we, we talked about, you called it blue literature mm. or blue, blue, movies. blue movies. For example. Um, in, in France, we know that they, that books of a, a doubtful nature, uh, nature uh, would be covered with a yellow cover. And of course, not to forget the most horrible thing, the fact that the Jews had to wear the yellow star uh, during the, the Second World War, a color that was already used to indicate Jewish people in the medieval times. Medieval so, times. Um, so, so yellow is one of those colors that over time within one culture, say the West, has evolved, evolved. Uh, from something which was not good into something which gives hope so that's a kind of an interesting uh, um, transition transition and then yeah. it was we were saying also in china it was exactly only for the emperor for the emperor for very for a very long time yep. as a royal yep. color as so a royal color exactly well talking about china we associate of course the, in china brides are dressed in red because that will bring good happiness and good luck here in the west uh, wearing white is something which was predominantly for the upper classes and was only introduced much later in time in the 19th century that women slowly started to wear white for their for weddings, uh, for weddings. And even today it would be unusual to wear a bright red dress here exactly in the west, here it? in the west it would be outrageous <laughs> it would be you know that would be an eye an eye catcher Okay, Wendy, so it's fascinating and also, I would imagine, an uplifting experience to see all that Absolutely. lovely, bright yeah. colour. And the exhibition is now open, and when does it run into? Uh, until the 28th of February, so until the end of February, you can uh, have this, this incredible experience. It's mouth-watering, I would say, okay. Because, okay. because it has so much to offer in terms of, you know, the symbolism, but also in terms of just the... It's a feast to the eye because there's so much to see. So all throughout history, uh, costumes are combined. So it's not just one period. It's right. all grouped really... around a color. So that's uh, an interesting approach. That's interesting. Well, I think yeah. we could all do with a feast for the eyes, Wendy. Exactly. Thank you, Wendy, um, from Casa del Arte. Thank you so much for joining us today on Arts Talk Radio. You're welcome. That was Zoe Baus talking to Wendy Fossen about the Fashion in Colour exhibition at the Kunstmuseum in The Hague. Arts Talk Radio Online. Well, I'm afraid that's it for another week. Uh, you've been listening to Arts Talk Radio, and we'll be back in a week or so, hopefully with a lot more interesting people with lots more interesting interviews. My name is Michael Hasted, so till the next time, it's goodbye. Yeah.